0: Welcome to Night School, the podcast where I bring on experts in the fields of science, history, and all corners of academia to dissect the genre films we love and uncover what the movies got right, what they got wrong, and where the truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. I am your host, Graham Skipper. I'm a horror filmmaker and an actor, but most importantly, I am a horror fan. I'm also a big old nerd uh, in uh, a whole lot of realms. all the affirmation science history and all that stuff i'm also a big shakespeare nerd uh, and so because this is my podcast and i can do whatever the hell i want uh, i wanted to talk about shakespeare on a horror podcast um so i would like to welcome my good friend uh the man who officiated my wedding um uh, a man with whom i have eaten cheetos and a fancy uh, uh a fancy hotel bar uh, a man that I, I have um, shared many rooms with over the years. Uh, one, of my, one of my best friends, Ian Lasseter, uh, he's a Shakespearean actor. Uh, he, uh, for example, acted in Sam Gold's King Lear starring Glenda Jackson on Broadway. Uh, a show that I saw, which was incredible. Um, also a, sh- a professor of Shakespeare at Fordham University in New York City. Ian, welcome
1: to the show. Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here. Uh, <laughs> it's great to boy, see you. Boy, we did eat cheese. It's good to it's good to see you in a little box as mm-hmm. we've been doing for like the last two years. Yeah, uh, I'm here in cold Connecticut. I wish I was in warm LA. Uh, well, actually, you're not in LA. You're in Austin. Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, no, well, I am in awesome Austin. I wish I wish that you were here, being warm with me.
0: Um, yes, that's weird and, and not weird. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's Ian, a- it, you know, when we were eating Cheetos that was uh, doing a, a Chekhov scene, um, right. however, uh, some of the first acting that you and I ever did was, was doing Shakespeare because Shakespeare is a, uh, a staple of, of theater classes around the world. And right. I guess I wanted to start by saying, what is it, in your opinion, about Shakespeare that is... A so fundamental to to young college students all over the world, um, and and is so informative uh, to to the greater like theatrical language. Like, what is it about Shakespeare that makes him so special? And some people would say the greatest writer that ever lived.
1: Um, I, I think what makes Shakespeare important is the the size and the scope of the language that he writes and yet in the size and scope it's so extraordinarily realistic and personal and uh it speaks to everybody no matter what time it's been his his 400 year old words that still feel like present day when we perform them today and when we hear them today when we go to see a play so uh it's a hard thing to do to make you know, a play interesting for 400 years. There's not a lot of playwrights that can, you know, tout (laughs) that claim. All the other writers from his time pretty much fizzled off. We don't really like to hear them. But Shakespeare, we want to go see him. And when we, you know, there's a lot of I guess, quote-unquote, boring productions of them, but even in the most boring production of a Shakespeare play, there's something exciting about it. And you're like, boy, if they could have just done this a little better, it would have been amazing, because the, the language is so... He's one of the few people who can make language both poetic and extremely real and simple at the same time. Very difficult thing to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think of, you know... Like well, you and I were in a production of Faustus together, uh, nice to so so many years ago, and and uh, you know, I, I think of Faustus, which I think is obviously it's it's a masterwork, it's a great play, but there's something that that for me, when I look at a play like that, I don't emotionally connect with Faustus necessarily on the page in the same way that I do with. King Lear or with even the fool you know with with any of Shakespeare's characters and there's something I, th- I think you're correct in talking about how there there's something that Shakespeare did with the language and that he was so ahead of his time about uh with 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 bringing these characters to life in a really significant way um and 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 I agree you know and that's that's part of the reason why I'm so drawn to his work and drawn to his work as adapted into film because then we get into then we get into something that that I think has has so many layers to it where you know we're we're not only talking about 400 year old language, but we're also talking about adapting that into a technology that Shakespeare couldn't even have imagined. Um, and yeah. and and yet you know, he was writing all these things that were all these plays that were, you know, so fantastical and so big, you know, and here we, you know, we're here talking about Polanski's Macbeth specifically, but in general with Shakespeare, you know, I, I, I find the scope of his imagination and, and the idea of, of, you know, writing about ghosts and fairies and magic and, uh, and, and murder and all these big ideas that they had to then somehow accomplish live on stage with technology of their day. Um, and it kind of boggles my mind. and I guess I I wanted to start off by, you know, we're talking about Macbeth. and and the reason I chose Macbeth is because I, I would say it's it's maybe the most horrific of his plays. We could also talk about Titus Andronicus, uh, Titus, another film, and uh, maybe another episode that you will come on to talk about. Um, yeah. y- you know, but but we we, you know Shakespeare certainly had a a knack for for the horrific. And I guess I'm curious, and, and uh, you know, based on your knowledge, how, how would all of this stuff, like, how is this stuff done on stage back in the 1600s? Like, mm-hmm. how do they even accomplish this before we even get into the idea of making it into a movie? I mean, how did, how did they, how do you have bloodletting and, and, you know, so many murders and, like, all this graphic violence? Like, what, how is that done?
1: Well, uh, so Macbeth particularly was 1606, so at that time, they would have been performing mostly at Blackfriars, which is an indoor theater, so they could make it as dark as they wanted. They didn't have to worry about, you know, the sun going down or, or a matinee, you know, that they, could, they could get dark, and usually they would have hundreds and hundreds of candles uh, to light the actors. Which you know, in hindsight, I don't know how more places didn't burn down because they were, hundreds yeah, that's and what hundreds I was thinking. Candles, yeah, I know it's like, it's incredible. <laughs> Huge <laughs> candles too, gigantic candles. Um. Uh, so they could set a tone, uh, by detracting some candles, getting it a little bit darker, moving the candles around, uh, under the actors, uh, which is likely how they would perform a lot of the ghosts, um. Lighting them oddly or from behind with with different candles. Uh, The way that they would do the blood was most of the time pig's blood. Uh, So so they'd have
0: actual just pig's blood? They would just have actual pig's blood there. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So when blood-boltered Banquo shows up at the banquet scene, it's very likely that actor was covered in pig's blood. (laughs) <laughs> wow. wow! that's hard. Standing in very dramatic candlelight, uh, about fifteen feet away from the four hundred people that were watching it, including the king, um, it must have been it must have been very spooky to watch.
0: I mean, it makes me think of how you know when people first saw Buster Keaton's The General in a movie theater, and the trains coming straight towards the the movie screen. And people would get up and run out of the theater because it was some instinctual thing thinking this train's going to hit us. And it makes me it makes me think of that and thinking, good Lord, in 1606, you know, you're watching somebody covered in blood lit spookily by a candle. You know, that's I mean, that's intense. That's got to be scary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It most certainly was, Um, especially when you opened the play up with three witches who were around a cauldron. You know whether or not they're around a cauldron is not necessary. It's not in the stage directions. But uh, three women uh, talking about uh, their recipe for uh, fate. You know, it's, it's very bizarre. It would have been very scary for those people to watch. That was the first time there was witches depicted in that way on a stage. That
0: was the first time witches were depicted on a stage.
1: Was in Beth. the way yeah the way we think of witches now started with that production with Shakespeare's play. Wow um now there were books um like King James himself wrote uh what was it demonology in fifteen ninety nine which was two men talking about all different kinds of witchcraft and why it's bad and how why you should hang witches. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Women are scary We're afraid of women (laughs) Women are scary That's uh, a lot of what this You know What are these weird sisters I mean if you really want to geek out They're not referred to as witches They're referred to as weird sisters And the word weird in 1606 Would have been pronounced weird Huh Which was wayward Oh So the way so there was wayard, w, uh, y r d, which was fate, which was the word for fate, and there was wayard, w a y, w a r d, like wayward, pronounced exactly the same way. So that would have brought up in the minds of the audience goers, right? They are both weird and they're, they're ministers of fate, and they're also wayward. You know, wayward meant like. What's the, um, in Game of Thrones, the very forward-spoken mother of, what is it, Marjorie Tyrell, I think?
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Um, played by, uh, uh, Queen oh my god, flowers. Brian's gonna kill me. Um, <laughs> um, I'm
1: gonna, hold on. Uh, what was her
0: name? It's oh, the Queen of
1: Flowers, I think. Or
0: yes, or um, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna look this up. This is, Brian's gonna absolutely kill me. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: You must know uh, this. Let's see. <laughs> While you're looking that up. Yeah, right. <laughs> that kind of outspokenness would have been thought to, you know, be cantankerous and then, okay, you're a cantankerous widow and now you're by yourself in your house and most of the women at that time would have taken care of the house by also having remedies and bombs for their, you know, husband and children coming back from the field. So now you get weirder, you know, <laughs> bombs that they consider, start considering spells. You get women who are just don't have the time to deal with bullshit anymore. So they start speaking their mind a little more bluntly and now they become weird. So this is, this is right at the time where these ideas of witches is, is starting to cement in our folklore.
0: Um, uh, By the way, that actress was, of course, Diana Rigg. Um, Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg, uh, 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 who who herself was a famous Shakespearean actress. Um, Yes, indeed. uh, Sorry, Brian. Sorry to everybody Game of Thrones fans. (laughs) Sorry to Diana Rigg, uh, who's incredible. May she rest in peace. Um, Yeah, I find that really interesting that you know that, like we 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 get into talking about the language, you know, and the idea of weird and like how it's pronounced and and how you know it it's it's weird. It's also wayward and and we're you know men were afraid of women who were acting strangely and and how all that sort of accumulates into being a uh uh in in, in how all that accumulates into into giving us a cultural understanding of women as witches. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and how beyond that, then you have, you know, it all sort of traces back to Shakespeare and with him being, um, you know, kind of, kind of the, 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 the beginning of this in a public way. I mean, at the time, do you know, like, was this uh, a, a, I don't know like a public fear would this have been something akin to you know we have we have Jason as a hockey mask killer coming out and somehow that's something that all of us are afraid of uh because he's scary and he's big and he's ugly and whatever um at the time would the idea of witches have been something that would have have and and and, and to that you know to that point curses and stuff like that would that have been something that audiences would have been actively aware of and
1: actively afraid of. Oh, definitely. They would have all known, had a similar understanding and would have all been terrified or at least wary um, of witches and spirits. I mean there was people believed people believed in spirits, in ghosts, in, in witchcraft, uh, in demons. Uh, so all this was not particularly ethereal to them or, or theoretical to them in the way we might think about it now. It was it was a lot more real to them then.
0: In so so I, I saw this fantastic play at one point uh, called Play Dead, directed by the great Teller, a Pinateller, Teller, and mm-hmm. in it he was sort of playing on the idea of old spook shows where they used to have. Um, like uv lights and and uh, uh would would make it seem like um like like ghosts were coming out of you know out of the theater into the audience and would scare you and people would actually believe this stuff um is there a a, a world where where people would go to these shakespeare plays and and i don't know would be actively afraid of of what was happening or was it like like us going to see a horror movie today and being like oh i enjoy being scared um and that's why i'm going to see it uh or you, you know versus me actually believing that the train's going to come out of the out of the movie screen
1: <laughs> yeah i i don't know that there was a that they would believe that the actors on stage suddenly were actual witches and they should get the hell out of there i i don't think that it had happened like that but uh, they would have been very, you know, the neck hair would bristle, and they would think, "Oh yeah, I know that old woman that lives up the road. She's just like that. She might be a witch." You know, th- there's a lot of that going on. Was um, there was there any
0: backlash to this particular play that you know
1: of? Uh, a backlash for it being performed?
0: Yeah, for like it being about the occult or you know anything like that. You know how people get upset at. You know, a movie talks about Satan, so we're all going to pick at it now. Like, was there any kind of backlash about this particular thing?
1: Not in any records that I've seen. There weren't people up in arms like, you should not be portraying this on stage. I mean, it. it, we'll go back to Faustus. He produced an actual demon on stage in Mephistopheles. That would have been a lot more blasphemous than having some weird sisters. Sure, sure. So, and there was no problem with having Mephistopheles. So, yeah, all right, well, and and now what did they did have a play taken down, called the uh, uh, the tragedy of Gowery, which was so when James, uh, I have to take these headphones. I keep hearing myself an echo. Uh, when James was still only king of Scotland, there was a you know, a plot on his life uh, to kidnap him. They wrote a play about it, uh, the King's Men. So Shakespeare's company. They wrote a play about it called The Tragedy of Gowery. But then when he becomes England, uh, the English king as well, they got rid of it. So and, and nothing lasted because you can't have you, you couldn't you weren't allowed to talk about the monarch that was actually an exi- you know alive yeah. and on the throne at that time. So we have no nothing of that. But in 1605, we get the Gunpowder Plot. So. That is where Macbeth starts to come from. So I think they took a lot of shit from that old. What what is the what is the gunpowder plot? You know, it's guy it's Guy Fox. It's uh, remember remember the fifth of November. So they tried to blow up Catholics tried to blow up uh, Parliament because they were tired of getting killed by Protestants, and uh, they figured King James was not going to do anything about it. So, uh about 20 young Catholics plotted t- to blow up parliament. Uh and they found Guy Fox. So you know V for Vendetta? Yeah. It's that guy with that's wearing the mask. That's the embodiment of this guy. Okay, okay. They, they found him standing under parliament with a uh 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 I think it was like 30 barrels of uh gunpowder. So anyway, yeah. Well, well, that's the uh the smoking
0: gun right there. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so, okay. so so uh you were talking about like historically what was going on at the time. Uh yep. there was a historical Macbeth, right? There was. And and what was this a story? I, I I don't know. I guess I'm asking how much is based on truth and how much would the audiences have known about
1: this actual king? Um I mean that he lived Was based on truth Shakespeare's writing mostly Most of his work is coming from Hollinshed's Chronicles Of history Which came out About the time he was born I believe um, There was a There was a man named Macbeth Who was born uh, 1005 uh, He became king in 1040 And he was killed in 1057 By Malcolm's forces A other than that, it, it's not much like the play at all, the actual history.
0: Okay, so, all right, so, so he basically, what Shakespeare was doing was reading through interesting tidbits of history and was then creating a world around them uh, that was magical and mystifying and and interesting is what you're saying.
1: Somewhat. In, 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 in the Holland Shed, which is supposed to be historical, he starts talking. He's already making up things. And the historian before him was making up things. So a lot of the actual accounts come from Irish and Scandinavian history that seems to be more accurate. But what you're finding is that even in the history, they start making up things like Macduff or or Banquo and Flans or the, the witches in the Holland Shed. "Quote unquote histories." So then Shakespeare is taking those oh, <laughs> liberties, wow. and he's going even further with them.
0: So so wow, that's wild. I never knew that. So the histories yeah. themselves are complicated and yeah. uh, uh, perhaps not entirely accurate. Yeah, exactly. So when it, so you said it was 1005. <laughs> that's a long time ago. That yeah. uh, Macbeth ruled, um, and and in in the Hollandshed Chronicles, they talk about witches, they talk about all this stuff. Um, so all of that was was present when, when Shakespeare actually started to write about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't make up the Weird Sisters himself. He just goes further with them.
0: Okay, wow.
1: And a lot of the reason why they think, you know, Jim Shapiro, he's, he's, he's like the best current... Uh, a Shakespearean scholar uh, he talks about that year in 1606 and one of the reasons he thinks uh, or many scholars think that uh, Macbeth was the play that Shakespeare wrote in that year uh, King James who was new to the throne in 1603 claimed his line through fleance so you actually see King James in Macbeth oh wow when he goes through the long, when he goes back to the witches towards the end of the play and they show him a line of kings, ah. the last king is King James. In oh, wow! So it's it's for him, you know. Fleance is uh, probably a made-up character as much as Banquo is, uh, but King James himself and it came from the line of Stuarts, and they all claimed their right to the throne through Fleance. <laughs> <laughs> It's like saying King Arthur was my my great 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 grandfather, so I have a right to be on the throne. So that's, but it's in Hollandshed, which was excuse me, yeah, it it was in Hollandshed, which was the historical chronicle chronicler of that time. So it's 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 all it's all jumbled up. (laughs) That's wild. That's wild. (laughs) So
0: okay, so let's get into um, adaptations of Shakespeare plays and. before we start talking about the actual movie with Beth that we're going to talk about, I wanted to just sort of lay the groundwork for people that are listening that maybe don't quite, I don't know, haven't studied a lot of Shakespeare or whatever, and I want to talk about scansion. And I want to talk about how... How is Shakespeare's writing poetic? How is it um, used? How do actors and directors... um, uh, you, you use it in 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 the way that scansion sort of teaches us. Could you
1: define scansion for people? Sure. Sc- scansion is essentially um, unpacking the beats that are in a line of verse. So Shakespeare's writing in blank verse, which is iambic pentameter, which means there's 10 beats per line of verse. Five weak, five strong. And as the late John Barton, late great John Barton would have said, who was uh, he ran the Royal Shakespeare Company for many many years. The stresses go de dum de dum de dum de dum de dum. So that's a regular line of iambic pentameter verse. And and, and, you use and I want to expansion to oh, discover oh, oh. I where I want to jump in. Are. I want yeah, to jump yeah.
0: in because something that I remember from our classes in college that I found yeah. really interesting is that part of the reason why this was the type of blank verse used um, was because that's sort of naturally how we speak. Um, yes. And, and I, I find that inter- because I think about that when I'm talking is I think about how I'm going to talk, you know, and, and it's it's just sort of natural. And I uh, I'm, I'm curious, like is this a thing that you think Shakespeare was knowledgeable of, or was he just innately uh, using this? Was it just the way that people did things because that's the natural way to do things? Like'm I'm, I'm just kind of curious about how how he arrived at this.
1: Um, it, yeah, it was certainly not innate. Um, blank verse was discovered in Italy in the early 1500s and made its way into, in sonnet form, made its way into England uh, and immediately took over as, as what all the poets and playwrights were started writing in because it was blank verse, because you can mask that it is poetry in a way that no poetry before it had. So before that you have tetrameter. In fact, the witches speak in tetrameter. That's why it sounds like a nursery rhyme when they talk. Because there's four beats per line. Um, think of the Cat in the Hat. Or, you know, like like Dr. Seuss. Or all the nursery rhymes that we love. They're all very melodic. And you can very obviously hear the verse when you say them. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy. Like, you want to give in to the verse. Then you get blank verse in the early 1500s. And it takes over because you can absolutely mask it. So, like, a line of verse would be, let's go to... Uh, let's go to Texas for some barbecue. You would never know that that is an iambic pentameter line. Let's go to Texas for some barbecue. Iambic pentameter. Wow, it's completely gone. Wild. So they became obsessed with it immediately for obvious reasons because there had been no way to write that wasn't obvious doggerel, and and doggerel is, is just is basically a the poetic term for for nursery rhyme obvious melodic poetry so it was a way to make things more
0: natural while then keeping with the idea of we're writing poetry we're writing in verse which is what everybody was doing
1: that's exactly right
0: wow that's wild so okay so shakespeare is he's he's writing in blank verse he's writing in iambic pentameter but he's doing things like you said of having the witches then speak in tetrameter uh, like, what does that, te- you know, like, like, what does that tell us? What, or, or, you know, what does it say when suddenly he has, you know, somebody like in King Lear, when King Lear famously says, never, 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 never. What, what does that say? And, and what is Shakespeare doing with his verse that was like sort of so revolutionary?
1: Well, let's let let's take those separately, because what never, never, never is still pentameter and the witches are in doggerel i think the reason he makes the witches speak in doggerel is 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 twofold one it makes you at the time it would make audiences remember an older time of theater and way of speaking Hmm. so they all would automatically represent a more ancient idea by talking in that way Hmm. Uh, because that's what theater would have used to have sounded like um, and when you use that kind of obvious rhyme, it really goes well for, I mean, there's a reason why nursery rhymes are so, if you really look at them, they're all, they're all kind of dark. They're about like the plague. They're about London Bridge burning down. They're masking really, um, dark stuff in very light speech. So when the witches are, um, essentially m- m- s- listing the ingredients for all of their spells uh it gives it kind of an eerie vibe to have that nursery rhyme kind of sound to it eye of newt and frog uh, and uh, uh, leg of frog you know uh, listing all these very disgusting and eerie it's, <laughs> body well, well, parts yeah, and, and, things. And, and And you're right. It's very yeah. old. It's very
0: uh, unsettling. Um, yeah. So, okay. So let's get into the actual film that we're, that we're actually here to talk about. We
1: we can do that. Um, if, if you want the never, never, never really quick, oh, please, I can yes, please. explain why that is so revolutionary. So King Lear, he actually writes in the same year, which is wild.
0: Uh, he, so he wrote King Lear and Macbeth in the same year.
1: Yes, and Antony and Cleopatra. Jesus Christ! He went from having oh. a you know they had the plague in 1603 and 04. It got kind of quiet. He didn't know what to write for this new king, and then all of a sudden, boom! The gunpowder plot comes. Everything is about you know suspicion about lines of succession. So he wrote, <laughs> so
0: he wrote Macbeth, King Lear, and Antony and Cleopatra. All while the plague was happening. And he wasn't allowed to perform anything.
1: Yeah, just after, and yes, yes.
0: <laughs> Jesus. Well, talk, talk about, a, talk about and, and he was, I mean, I'm sure he was like in his, what, 20s, 30s?
1: Uh, let's see, in 1606. He would have been in his 40s by then.
0: He was in his 40s. All right, well, that gives me a little more time. But good Lord, yeah. you know, yeah. hearing about that kind of output and like this legacy of plays and writing them all in the same year, it's nuts. Twirl. It's wild. It nuts. is nuts.
1: And never, never, never is so, uh, we were talking about what makes the lines so, uh, like what the feet are and all. You would never have, the audience will be able to hear, you never have a line that starts with strong stresses and ends with weak stresses all the way through. You might have one or two, but never all the way through. So instead of de-dum, 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 de-dum. He goes the opposite way and says, never, never see that strong, weak. Never, 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 never. No one ever did that before. It's one of the most powerful and and poetic um, uh, tweaking of a form that probably any playwright has ever done.
0: Um, Well, and it remains my favorite line in Shakespeare, uh, and I'm sure a lot of other people's. also, by the way, uh, you know, instead of iambic pentameter, that, unless I'm incorrect, is considered trochaic pentameter, right? Because it, it's a yeah. it's a trochee instead of an iamb. That's correct, right? Ah, yes, that's right. I you re- got it. I remembered some things. <laughs> I remembered some things. So, so you know, we're here uh, ostensibly to talk about Polanski's Macbeth, um, yeah. and and you you watched it for the for the show. Um, and I'm I'm sort of curious about your uh, your take on it. Um, how accurate is it to the original text? Um, there are other things too about the making of the film that I find to be really interesting, uh, including you know the casting of a couple of of uh, people in their in their mid twenties to be Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, um, largely because when Polanski was putting the film together. They decided that uh, somebody, you know, traditionally that might play these roles would be in their sixties. You know, they're they're cons- you know generally older characters. Uh, but but Polanski said that being in their sixties, they were too old to be ambitious. Um, and so I'm curious about kind of your take on that, your take on the casting, your take on the film as a whole, and and. Are 60-year-olds too old to be ambitious?
1: Would they have played these roles back in Shakespeare's day? <laughs> maybe not 60-year-olds, but certainly the older actors would have played the Macbeths. There's a fun apocryphal one where the... Well, I'll, maybe I'll save this for when we get into what weird stuff goes down around surrounding this production. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I love that there are young... I love that they he, he casted them... Younger, I think Burton and uh, Elizabeth Taylor wanted to play the parts. They wanted right? to
0: do it, yeah, but then they they said ah, it needs to be younger people. And and also yeah. we should say that this was in the wake of the Manson murders, where Polanski's wife Sharon Tate, uh, the fantastic actress, was was killed, and and so part of the making of this film was him. Uh, wanting to kind of come to grips with that. And so I feel like that's also part of this kind of uh which is brew, if if you will, of of stuff that comes together and, and and makes this film and informs why he would want younger people to play these roles. Um yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, I mean, so so you said older actors would have played this back in the day. I mean, how old are we talking? Like how how you know, I, I know people back then didn't live very long, but are we talking like, oh, somebody in their forties, or were there actual older actors that were uh, that were up there that were that were the ones playing these roles?
1: I would say thirties, forties would have been the people playing that. Maybe a little bit younger for Lady Macbeth, hmm. um, but yeah. And then as that goes in when, when it first came out. Then that age goes up and up and up uh, as people live longer and start establishing themselves. So you know, uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor would have been in there, I guess, sixties. Yeah. So, so the role- there was there was like a trend of older actors playing these younger parts. Like Burton was fifty, I think, when he played Hamlet, who's supposed to be in college. So you know, that's too old i think polanski was right to cast <laughs> I'm, people I'm, more their age
0: <laughs> i'm i'm curious uh your thoughts on on recently ian mckellen famously played hamlet on broadway or er, uh yeah. in the west end um west end, and yeah. i, I what are your thoughts on that
1: the mckellen D- judy dench version yeah I I love it. I love it. They are absolutely too old to be those parts, but they're just... Uh, you know, what I do like about that is she is absolutely wearing the pants. And he is... He's cunning, but he does have... Uh, a, but when you cast Ian McKellen, he, he does have too much milk in him, like Lady Macbeth says of Macbeth. He's a little too gentle. You're like, uh, maybe... Maybe you need some help in this. I believe that he needs help. Um, I also like that he directed dresses. But although you know it's a play, they filmed essentially a play. They didn't shoot a movie; they they filmed a play. Uh, and just about every other film version, soliloquies become, you know, we we're watching the person think. Uh, and our old teacher, Roger. Uh, Roger, rest yeah. in peace. It was young Malcolm in that? So, yeah. you know, I have a lot of love for for that production and the the way that they they play it. It's it's fantastic. They're all. It's all in round. It's a very small circle. It's in black and white and it's very stark lighting, uh, which helps give it a noir and uh, kind of you know suspense feel to it. Uh, you know. I think a lot of people don't like it because it's super theatrical <laughs> versus a movie. But again, they're shooting, they're filming a stage production. They're not shooting a lifelike film. Yes,
0: it's you are getting a theatrical presentation. That is literally what you're getting. Um, <laughs> That's what you're getting.
1: Um, so let's get
0: into the curse. Let's get Short. into the curse of Macbeth. I know there are a lot of people. Um, that i'm sure shuddering every time we say the word
1: uh that well you see i get to say it graham you shouldn't be saying it patrick stewart says if you played the titular role you can say it all you want oh. so technically you should be turning around three times and spitting and
0: spitting phone. i should be spitting um <laughs> uh i i never heard that before that's interesting um that's interesting so let's talk a little bit about the curse and and, and why there may be a curse. Um, and, and and then a little bit about the how the language of Shakespeare plays into this.
1: Yeah. Um, most people think that there's a curse because um, Lady Macbeth has an actual incantation. She actually invites unseen spirits to unsex her and make her full of cruelty and take all of her humanity away so they they can accomplish this task of killing Duncan and making Macbeth the king and the story goes that when you know you're actually saying those words the spirits don't care that it's a play Here is a human saying those words and meaning them. You're inviting those spirits into the room. So most people think, you know, hey, spirits don't care. So weird things tend to happen around this play. Um, There's lots of apocryphal stories about people dying, people almost dying, productions being cursed uh, because of this particular speech. I'm sure that the witches... uh, uh, incantations don't don't help either.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of uh, <laughs> supernatural stuff going on. Uh, yeah. But you know, one thing that you've said to me in the past is that an integral part of that incantation uh, is is that the the actor saying it has to mean it in order for yeah. it to, um, you know, should you believe in this sort of thing, <laughs> Uh, affect, you know, an actual incantation. Um, And I find that really fascinating because it's, it's like you have, you know, as an actor, you have to believe what you're saying. You have to. And, 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 and so it's, I don't know, it's just really fascinating to me and interesting to me that you have these people that are doing, you know, what they're supposed to do. They're fully believing in what they're saying and, and they're saying this speech that Shakespeare wrote and they're they're fully invested in it but in the process maybe they're summoning an actual demon you know that's it's <laughs> that's, that's pretty it's that's pretty rough I'm uh,
1: like, exactly
0: I uh I don't know I, I I mean you've been involved in productions of Macbeth before do you think that they're cursed
1: well you, this is the first production I've been a part of was this past summer I played I played Macbeth um you know it actually ended up being a, uh, just a lovely run. However, uh two gigantic breakups. My I ended up breaking up during that time. Uh and the director and the the, the two people who run the theater pr- production are now married and are now breaking up. So maybe there's, you know, there's there's all kinds of weird shit that happens around it. Um Luckily, nobody came close to dying, but it did ruin a couple lives. <laughs> <laughs> so it took, it took its toll for it sure. Did,
0: it certainly did. Um,
1: the best wild. one, though, was in 1849. Of, okay. uh, people did actually die in a riot, the worst riot that happened in America. there was an English guy named McCready. There was a American guy named Forrest. They were the best Shakespeare actors of their time. And they went on these tours battling each other. And Forrest at one point started booking himself at every town (laughs) that McCready would go to and playing those parts. Uh, So then, you know where the public is down in uh, Astor Place? Yeah. There was a place called Astor Place Theater. And, you know, the immigrants and the native, you know, the quote, okay, the, the Americans, <laughs> the white settler Americans born here, not that dissimilarly from Gangs of New York, were kind of at war of each other. They heard about these two actors coming to play Macbeth. They were like, let's go to the English guys production and boom and throw eggs at him and cabbage and all this. The the. The immigrants, the European immigrants, found out about this and they were there and they started fighting with the Americans. It goes out into the street. The police come in. They start beating up the police and the police are beating them up. The police call the militia and the militia fires into the crowd. 20 to 30 people died. Hundreds of people were injured. Holy It's called shit. the Astor Place Massacre, and it happened right by the public theater. And it was all because of Macbeth? <laughs> because of Macbeth. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I no idea. It's, wow. It's, it was the bloodiest massacre that had happened on American soil to that point. Wow. That is I, wild. I think it might still be. And all because of Macbeth, yeah. It was, a rap, it was a Shakespeare rap battle between an Englishman <laughs> and an American that got out of hand.
0: Holy shit. And I love that people were so incensed about an Englishman coming to their shores to play this role that they were like, we're going to fuck him up. They went and fucked him up. <laughs> well, you know, it's a good thing that nobody on this podcast is going to read that famous incantation unless... Oh, okay. I can convince you, Ian... Well, worldly scholar and worldly performer to actually read the incantation (laughs) that perhaps causes all of these horrible things to happen
1: you really want to invite the spirits in the room don't you well just don't believe it like you said any good actor right Uh uh-huh okay okay so let me paint the scene a little bit i guess um Macbeth has found out that he is going to become king uh, By the witches He says this is nonsense But one of the prophecies comes true He becomes the thane of another place He was already, it's basically like a duke He was a duke of one place He didn't know he was going to be the duke of another place The witches tell him that it comes true So now he's thinking, oh shit, maybe I will become king He writes home to his wife And his wife reads the letter, and she says, uh, she fears his nature because it is too much of the milk of human kindness. So she asks the spirits, she says, come you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to the toe Top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood. Stop up the access and passage to remorse. That no compunctuous visitings of nature shake my fell purpose. Nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breast and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers. Wherever in your sightless substances you wait on nature's mischief. Come, thick night, and pall thee in the dunnest smoke of hell, that my keen knife see not the wound it makes, nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark to cry, Hold, hold. And that little piece of speech has caused a whole lot of mischief.
0: (sighs) That's, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And it's a lot in what she's saying, too, you know, in response to what's happening to her.
1: Oh, yes. She, to unsex me here, to to become simply a spirit of cruelty that has no humanity in it. And by the end of the speech, she is talking about herself as Macbeth stabbing, that my keen keen knife see not the wound it makes. She's not going to stab them. Macbeth is. So she has gone all the way off the reservation into this is ours and we're going to do this by hook or by crook.
0: It's intense, man. It's it's really intense and I, I'm wondering too about the implications of you know, here's a play about a man who I don't know, on the surface at least it seems to me that it's about a man who was sort of surrounded by women who are doing horrible things to him. You know, like like the play kind of lets us know that that Lady Macbeth is is really the the puppeteer. You know, she's really the one behind the scenes kind of making all of this happen. Um I'm curious about your perspective on that, like especially today and and like it, is that what Shakespeare's saying, you know, what 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 was that about the time um that that would have been relevant to to this idea of, you know, here are these witches that are that are sort of making all the you know setting everything in motion. Uh, and then here's my wife who is the one that is that is causing me to do all this. Um, mm. Just sort of you know it seems like something that's kind of relevant right now and I'm just curious about your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, it's um, it is interesting. He does try to stop it. So when he writes to his wife about what the the weird sisters tell him, he doesn't say he's going to kill Duncan. He just wants to let them know, let his wife know what's happening. She brings up the idea of killing him because all of a sudden now Duncan is coming to their house. So she sees this as the only opportunity uh, to make the prophecy true. And Macbeth says, "Uh, "Hold, uh, wait a minute. I didn't say I was going to kill him. We can't do this. This is wrong. So he actually tries to stop it. And she emasculates him. She says, "Uh, when you durst do it, then you were a man. And you would be so much more the man. So I don't know that that necessarily is a, I don't think that that's a, dig at women i don't think it's a, a dig at weak men or i just think in this particular instance um it's good dramatically that macbeth doesn't have all the ideas himself because that could get pretty fucking boring well because he's and he's also
0: a king you know
1: well he's not the king well right but he's Be, also he's he a
0: he's a man of nobility you know he's he is he, yeah. he's a a a person of status i guess that's you could right say
1: um, he even says they have, you know, this Duncan hath honored me of late and I've bought golden opinions from all sorts of people. So he he's he sees how good his nobility is and he doesn't want to mess with that. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's uh you know, the I, I think that it's it's tough for us today to really understand the dynamics of of power in the way that they were back then and i find that just really fascinating of of you know i mean we were talking about game of thrones you know of 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 like that sort of stuff of what you had to do to maintain power to to sort of like um like if you see a bunch of dogs in a yard you know and and one of them is is way more dominant than all the other ones and you know well that one is gonna be the one that nobody messes with and and I think a play like Macbeth and and so many of Shakespeare's plays but in particular this one um it just really illustrates kind of that concept of people used to have to be like that and I guess to some degree like they still are but they're not you know now it's through I don't know bank transfers and not knives to the throat um (laughs) yeah you know, but I, I, I find that really interesting. I'm, so I'm curious about, uh, you know, we've been talking about, about Macbeth, and, and I guess specifically about Polanski's Macbeth, although it's veered more into talking about Macbeth as a play and Shakespeare in general, and that's what I wanted. Um, but I know you watched Throne of Blood for the first time, Curacao was Throne of Blood, and I'm curious about your reaction to that film And how it relates to to Shakespeare's original text, you know, because it's a lot easier to do an adaptation and still have the same text because language is so important to Shakespeare. It's a whole other thing to take it and adapt it, not just into other texts, but into a whole other language. Um, So I'm curious about your reaction to seeing Throne of Blood. (coughs) Excuse me.
1: Um, Yeah. What's interesting, as far as adaptations go, listening to Polanski or reading about Polanski talking about, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, his Macbeth as an adaptation was interesting because he, he he doesn't write any text; it's all the original text. He he cuts it, he moves some text around from a scene to another scene, but it's not. He doesn't change the text at all. So it's interesting having that be an adaptation. Now, with Throne of Blood, uh, obviously, because it's in Japanese and Kurosawa directed it, they would have to be wholly translated. And not only that, it's the story is slightly different. Um, some lines loosely make their way into that film, but it's not... Kurosawa wrote that script. Um, so it's based off of Macbeth, it's not particularly Macbeth itself. But I I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. The um the relationship between Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. I guess it's I I'm not gonna pronounce it right. Whis I know it's W A S. Yeah, I mean I'm I could I couldn't say it either. It right. Yeah. I didn't want to try. <laughs> um they their relationship is such a beautiful take on that relay she is so still and quiet and diminutive but what she is saying is so powerful it drives him crazy and he listens it it i thought they he pulled off that relationship spectacularly and then um the relationship with banquo uh lasting much longer in that film i thought was was pretty amazing um and again b- the story the story itself when when shakespeare wrote it and in the polanski version and in throne of bloods what the problem is is once i've first thought something evil is that it am i now doing the evil because i've thought mm-hmm. it and then going crazy over that and obsessing over that that's actually what the the tragedy is in the story and and I think the Polanski version and and the Kurosawa version hit that shit dead on the head.
0: Yeah, the, the the idea being that that really what's happening is that Macbeth is just the fact that he had the idea. And, and that when you have the idea, you have to either shut it down or nurture it, which is what he does. and And when you nurture it, bad things happen. Um, I've never really thought about it like that and, and distilled it down to what you just said. But, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and it does make it so much more tragic because really, I mean, you know, dude just wanted power, and and perhaps there were other ways for him to get power, but uh, mm-hmm. he didn't pursue those. He He just, he goes down the wrong path. Um, and that that's the real tragedy that it all goes back to that. that's really fascinating.
1: Um, yeah, it's like he's bound to it no matter what he does like Oedipus he gets told right up front, don't do this. you're gonna do this and he tries his entire life to avoid doing what the prophecy told him and he ends up doing it. Macbeth can't escape it either. You can't escape fate is essentially what all these stories are about.
0: Do you think that do you think that the witches? what I'm trying to ask is, is there any way that Macbeth could have escaped it? Or is this a play just purely about fate and what you are dealt is what you have to endure?
1: Well, that's actually the point of the tragedy. You're watching a person who can't, there is no, everything that the tragic character does is to try to fight (laughs) the prophecy. And it doesn't matter. There, it's going to happen. you you don't want it's like what do you you should not go to a, a, go don't open that door. Jason is on the other side. It doesn't matter. They're gonna open that door. It's what we want to see. So when we go to see a tragedy, they tell you the prophecy right up front and then we want to watch someone try to do everything to avoid it. And everything that they do to avoid it is what makes the thing happen.
0: It's like when you're watching Scream, and Sydney talks about how she hates women running upstairs
1: when he, a yes, killer's
0: chasing yes. after them. And then the <laughs> first thing she does is run up the stairs. Run uh, right up the stairs. Um, this is also maybe the first time ever that somebody has referenced Scream and Shakespeare uh, in the <laughs> same in the same sentence, which I'm I'm very proud of. Um, yeah, <laughs> breaking ground, <laughs> breaking ground. ground. Uh, yeah, the, Ian, thank you so much. I mean, this is all been really fascinating. And, and I, I, what, what I love is the idea of people having a bit more of an appreciation for Shakespeare and people, you know, having, it, it's not just about the history and it's not just about him being, a famous writer it, it's about that he was really really good and he was breaking new ground that he was doing things that nobody else was doing um and so i hope that today we got some people maybe a little bit interested um polanski's macbeth uh is i i think a fantastic movie and i think it's especially really interesting considering the cultural relevance around sharon tate being murdered and around the the you know the 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 things that inspired it um and all of that but but i also just think it's a really accurate uh adaptation of the play i think he just you know sort of puts the play on screen and he does it very violently and very graphically but i mean it's kind of what this play is um what would you uh say to anybody here that maybe isn't used to watching shakespeare stuff that that is is interested in this sort of thing um do you have any recommendations for for films that they can try to seek out and and maybe watch that might get them a little bit more interested
1: yeah i mean i i i, I do very much like this roman plansky uh Macbeth. maybe if it's your first time don't start to it because it's very it moves very st- there's almost a kubrick-esque quietness to it it's kind of like if you don't like the shining you might not like that one right off the bat but you will grow a taste for it because it is so mentally distressing uh so i do recommend watching that eventually off the bat (coughs) if for a newbie um there's a midsummer night's dream uh that um uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is in, um, Kevin Kline is in, Stanley Tucci is in. That's just really fun. It's and really easily fun game. Easy to grasp onto. Um, and very funny. Um, the Titus you were talking about earlier, the Julie Taymor Titus with Anthony Hopkins playing Titus which, is by the spectacular. way, spectacular. Which, by the way,
0: needs... Of like a really solid Blu-ray release. I'm I the only thing out there is the DVD, which I have, really, which I have. But the the uh DVD of it is like you see in a lot of very early early DVDs where the whole thing is like cropped down to like tiny little size to fit on an old square CRT oh, TV.
1: Oh yeah, and yeah, so that's yeah. what
0: you're watching it on. And it's such a big, beautiful, sumptuous film. I, I wish that they would do a, a legit big Blu-ray release of that.
1: I can't believe there's not a Blu-ray of that. That's shocking to me. It's so
0: hard. Yeah, it's so hard to find anything about that movie. It's it's and it's incredible. I agree with you. That's crazy.
1: Um, maybe we should write to Julie. (laughs) Let's (laughs) write
0: to Julie.
1: Let's send a strongly a strongly worded letter. Yeah. Um that is a fantastic So Midsummer Titus. Yeah. Um, i would say the mel gibson hamlet is a good way in it's a good the language isn't too hard to grasp and there's actors you know there's american actors that we can follow i guess you know Mel Gibson's Australian, but he's kind of a defector. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty action it's pretty action heavy too. It's very it's, action heavy, so yeah. it doesn't lose you don't lose interest quickly if you watch the Branagh one, which is phenomenal. It's much slower paced. Might be harder for a first timer to latch on to.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Branagh one I prefer and actually, especially around Christmas time, uh, because it's yeah. all set during the winter, but I am um, Yes. I agree. I mean, it's uncut. You know, it's four-something hours. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I, I will say that, you know, if you're like, I don't know, sitting around wrapping presents, you're like drinking mimosas all day, you want to throw something yes. on, you know, maybe even in the background, dare I say, uh, yeah. I think the the Branagh Hamlet is really, really, really great.
1: Um, it is. And and while we're on Brana, all of his it, the Much Ado watch that that might be the first one to go to. Yeah, it's his, one of the greatest Shakespeare films of all time. Yeah, his
0: Much Ado ranked number one, by the way, on the Screen Draft podcasts, um, uh which which we ranked, and which I was, uh, unless memory serves me incorrectly, I was very ha- happy to play it myself. But yeah, <laughs> the the Brana Much Ado is just an incredible film. Um, yeah, it it you know traditionally when i watch shakespeare plays i i tend to gravitate more towards the histories or the tragedies but there's something about the brand on much ado that fills me with such joy and (laughs) that you know hey nani nani you know hearing that song just (laughs) makes me smile um and uh Uh, It definitely does something very different to me than Robert
1: Polanski's Macbeth, which fills me
0: with dread and horror and (laughs) is uh, a really uncomfortable experience. Um, That's right. um, Well, Ian, thank you. I am uh, so thrilled that you came on to talk to me about this. I want to have you back on to talk about Titus. Um, I think that uh, that would be really fun to talk about. I think that Shakespeare's, horror proclivities are, um, are, are layered and varied. Um, and I think Macbeth as a play, uh, is really something very special. And, and I, I hope that today we were able to, I don't know, get a few people to watch it. Maybe some people are watching some more Shakespeare and that's good. And, uh, yeah. And so thank you. Thank you for coming on.
1: Hell yeah! Thanks for having me, man. It's a real joy to talk about this. I'll geek out with uh, over Shakespeare with you anytime, buddy.
0: Um, so where can people
1: find you on social media if they can find you? Um, uh, the Instagram is Ian Lassiter NYC. Um, I also have uh, my cartoon, which is on uh, Lasseter Industries at Lasseter Industries on Instagram, which is fantastic. Please go check it out thank you and uh, ianlassiter.com for possible updates yeah
0: fantastic Uh, and as always you can find me talking about nonsense on twitter at graham skipper and yeah thank you all so much for being here again ian thank you once more Uh, to all of you thank you again for being here and supporting and i will see you all soon everybody keep it creepy (laughs) Love you. Bye. And thank you as always to Michael Teoli for our themes. Michael and Michael Teoli.